At some level, this shouldn't be a controversial thought, but my really strong belief is that I think we're focused on the wrong things in TB. We largely assay the T cell compartment, but the cell that harbors the bacteria and therefore carries the burden of killing the bacterium is by and large phagocytes. This is Professor Brian Bryson. I'm an assistant professor in the biological engineering department, and my lab studies the innate immune response to infectious pathogens such as mycobacterium tuberculosis. I'm Alex Albanese, and you're listening to Glimpse. And in this very special episode of Glimpse, we are collaborating with the good folks at ECD, the Early Career Dialogue Series, for their upcoming event on February 25th, 2019, entitled Crossing Boundaries, Life of a Multidisciplinary Academic. We have more information about the event at glimpse.mit.edu. Professor Bryson is a panelist at this live event. Before working with tuberculosis, he started out in mechanical engineering. So how does a mechanical engineer end up investigating infectious diseases? So I came to MIT with an interest in combining biology with engineering. And I didn't really know, other than prosthetics, how that was done in a real way. And then where I really settled um, was really serendipitously in a lab uh, when I was an undergrad where I got to study how you could leverage microfluidics for tissue engineering. We were developing this microfluidic device to uh, culture liver hepatocytes to try to culture them into a tissue. And what I realized is that at the end of my undergrad degree, uh, we had a really good kind of exquisite control on how to really engineer a device. But what I realized is every time we put the cells in, the cells didn't do what we wanted them to do. And I thought, you know, here my undergrad thesis was on really understanding the role of hydrodynamic shear on cell adhesion. I said, okay, I found the perfect regime. I'm just going to drop the cells in and we're going to have a tissue. It never happened. So I decided I should get a PhD and I should go and try to study this. Uh, I ended up going and getting a PhD in biological engineering with my grad school advisor, Forrest White, to leverage mass spectrometry to disentangle intracellular signaling networks. Really, it was focused on how these drugs that had these really potent properties for type 2 diabetes and lung cancer uh, actually signaled inside the cell. During his PhD, Brian was betrayed. Brian was buying antibodies to measure proteins in his cell experiments. And one day, his experiments, they just stopped working. Turns out, it was the antibodies. Different vendors made different batches, gave different experimental results. I, I literally gave the experiment to so many other people. I would like try to go barter with people in the lab. I was like, I will bake you cookies if you try to do my experiment. So I got bogged down for quite a while. But we managed to find a way out of it uh, by developing a new suite of tools that allowed us to better capture uh, acetylated proteins without ever having to worry about antibodies ever again. At the end of my PhD, I, uh, I wanted to just totally switch gears and work on a different set of biological questions. So this was really inspired by my family. Um, so my maternal grandfather was born in Panama. My maternal grandmother was born in Puerto Rico. And, you know, as a kid, my grandpa had yellow fever a bunch of times. You know, so my family's connection with the diseases that I had been studying, uh, cancer, type 2 diabetes, was not as strong as the connection to infectious diseases. And that was basically uh, all I knew at that point. So I said, I want to go and do a P my postdoc in a lab where I can combine bioengineering and infectious disease. Brian then decided to do a postdoc, specifically on the West Coast. Before he packed his bags, though, he had one stop. He met with Professor Sarah Fortune at the Harvard School of Public Health. I 
heard of somebody and I said, hey, I'm going to come talk to you because I thought this person would just kind of know like everybody in the field to be able to connect me to the West Coast. Um, four hours later, somehow she'd convinced me to do a postdoc with her. And uh, that's what I did. Uh, so I spent the last five years uh, in a bacterial genetics lab that by and large focus, focuses on mycobacterium tuberculosis. So here we are, full circle. So tuberculosis is caused by mycobacterium tuberculosis and other related species. TB, or MTB for short, is an infectious disease that has been with humans since prehistorical times. Traces of TB have been found in Neolithic and ancient Egyptian human skeletal remains. Tuberculosis during the 1600s to the 1800s is thought to have caused 25% of all deaths in Europe. Think about that for a second. One in every four deaths was caused by TB. That's a long time ago. We're safe now, right? Not really. Current estimates say that one-third of the world's population is infected with TB right now, with most infections occurring in developing countries. Infection is not necessarily a death sentence, though. Most TB infections are symptomless, and only one in 10 infections typically progress to active disease. During active disease, patients can develop a cough, fever, night sweats, weight loss. Active disease is the real problem since it has a 50% mortality rate and is how the disease spreads from person to person. When an active infection patient coughs, droplets containing TB travel through the air and are inhaled by people nearby. In the lung, bacteria are quickly engulfed by an immune cell population called macrophages. Normally, this is the end of the line for bacteria that enter the lung, but mycobacterium tuberculosis has evolved to survive and in fact replicate inside the macrophages that are trying to kill them. As a last-ditch effort, the body, not being able to resolve the infection, forms a granuloma around the infected area. And when these granulomas burst open, bacteria invade more regions of the lung. If disease becomes active, a patient will cough up blood, eventually the hemorrhaging will lead to asphyxiation. Brian, during his postdoc, challenged the dogma of latent and active tuberculosis infection active versus latent. What does that really mean? And it turns out that it uh, doesn't mean exactly what we've historically interpreted it to be. Actually, within one individual, regardless of their clinical status, the disease is actually very heterogeneous. It's not just this global difference between person A and person B. It's really about local immune responses in the individual and how a local immune response in location A versus location B emerge in enhance control of the pathogen. So the basic idea is that not all immune cells, namely macrophages, are created equally, um, especially when it comes to their ability to control the pathogen. So we decided that, you know, it's really hard to isolate individual cells and plate those individual cells for their bacterial composition, bacterial content and watch that grow. So wouldn't it be better if we had a way of kind of imaging bacterial viability at single cell resolution? And the simple strategy that we decided to employ was we said, okay, let's label all bacteria red. So let's make them all express a really stable red fluorescent protein. And then let's have them have a drug-inducible expression of GFP. We can identify our bacteria by red signal. And then those that remain able to do transcription and translation, when you add the drug, you should see them also turn green. And what we actually observed there was kind of unprecedented insofar that, you know, here in this population of macrophages that we had all the same culture discs, they had really exquisite heterogeneity and the capacity to control TB infection. And when we think about, you know, now within individuals, you have this 
variation in the capacity to sterilize infection in these different sites. Maybe one of the drivers in variation in survival of the pathogen is really variation in these macrophage populations. And if we can actually learn how to move that needle, uh, we might actually be able to change how we think about TB. This is where things get somewhat controversial. Most research is focused on how other immune cell populations, such as T-cells, ultimately determine disease outcome. But it is inside the macrophages and other phagocytes that mycobacterium tuberculosis is surviving or being exterminated. So how do these phagocytes kill mycobacterium? And it turns out that we don't really have a complete picture for how that happens. My immunology textbook tells me, like, here are these 17 different antimicrobial mechanisms. And is it that they're all working in concert? Is it that one gets turned on first, and then you have two, then three, then four? Is it that you just need some subset of those responses to be turned on? You know, so we don't really understand the kind of the molecular logic of how antimicrobial responses in these infected cells are uh, induced, and that's really what we try to study. One of Professor Bryson's main research aims is to investigate phagosomes, or phagosomes. These are little organelles inside the macrophage. Think of them as little compartments inside the macrophage that become really acidic and try to destroy foreign invaders. These uninhabitable little compartments are where mycobacterium tuberculosis lurks. These phagosomes, they're the location of the epic battle between human and bacteria. The stakes are incredibly high. The phagosome either keeps TB in check, or it allows it to progress one step closer towards active infection. Uh, part of the lab really focuses on tools that can allow us to better measure just expression levels, as well as multidimensional visualization of the assembly of these organelles to understand, okay, when we see that in one case, in the same cell, you have one bacterium that's alive and one bacterium that's dead. Is it because in this phagosome, it assembled the right composition of proteins and in this phagosome, it assembled a slightly different one? But there are like clearly well-established paradigms by which the bacterium can also try to disrupt the assembly of this. So like, you know, it's like that song, anything you can do, I can do better. And, you know, so, you know, so the immune cell might want to like douse the pathogen in acid, but the bacterium has secreted proteins that disrupt the activity of proton pumps. It, I sometimes like to think of it as a symbiont because, you know, it doesn't want to kill you because then it loses its nutrient source. It doesn't make too much of a kerfuffle because then it might activate too strong of an immune response. It's really this delicate interplay. And I think, you know, we have evolution to thank for the reason that the pathogen can survive uh, fairly well in intracellular. So this is a very interesting approach. Professor Bryson is trying to figure out what are the exact elements of the antimicrobial response that are needed to kill the bacteria that are trapped inside the macrophages. Right now, there's three versions of phagosomics, and they're all inspired by junior faculty panic attacks. So one of the things that we work on in the lab is we're kind of just repurposing existing technologies for multiplex protein measurement. And just instead of measuring like secreted cytokines, which people by and large use these platforms for, we actually begun to repurpose it to measure antimicrobial protein expression. For the same sample, we can measure 17 different antimicrobial proteins. We have developed that same technology or we're developing that same technology into a multiplex immunofluorescence. Uh, so being able to measure those 17 proteins but using multiplex immunofluorescence because the hypothesis could be instead of it being expression level changes, it's localization changes. But it could be that we're honestly still missing components of the phagosome. 
you know, so like people have tried to isolate phagosomes doing density centrifugation and blah, 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 blah. So what we decided is that instead, what if we actually invert this on its head and say, okay, well, we want to understand the composition of the phagosomes where the bacteria reside. Um, and we want to have really exquisite specificity in targeting these phagosomes. Well, guess what is always in a phagosome? TB. And so if we actually could engineer the TB to actually like label the phagosome in some way that we could enrich for, then we can find the, like, the protein composition. So that's exactly what we're doing. Professor Bryson has specific targets in mind with his research. And I think really about reverse engineering a vaccine. If you're thinking, hey, isn't there a TB vaccine? There is, and it is given to children. But here's a surprise twist. It doesn't prevent pulmonary TB. This vaccine was developed in 1921 and protects children from TB infecting their skin and other tissues. So it definitely helps a little, but it doesn't protect the lungs, the most common and deadly tuberculosis infection. So if we can actually begin to understand, here are the actual molecular signals that are required for the adaptive immune system to provide in the setting of active TB infection that would actually provide kind of enhanced antimicrobial responses, that would be a huge boon. Once you know this, you can design a vaccine to produce that specific response, independent of all other immune cells. And this is a big difference from current vaccines, which specifically target T cells and B cells. The other thing I think about is, okay, let's step aside from vaccines for a second. There's a, an emerging interest in uh, host-directed therapies. So that's like small molecules or enhancing innate immune cell function. And we have some really great examples of this. So actually one of the blockbuster cancer drugs, which uh, called Gleevec, actually does an incredible job at enhancing uh, control of TB. And there's clinical trials happening on that right now. In addition to therapies, Professor Bryson is also interested in the process of discovering new TB drug candidates. I have this crazy idea. And that crazy idea is that um, maybe it would be possible to screen for drugs to control TB without ever having to have TB present. This is just like a, an, it's a numbers game. When you infect macrophages with TB, only about 30% of the cells get infected. And then people will add whatever drug they're really interested in and then say like, okay, this antimicrobial protein goes up 10 to 20 folds. Is that like only happening in the infected cells? Do you actually need to have TB present to query that response instead of querying directly antimicrobial uh, killing. For me, this is really interesting as, a, as an idea because you can imagine that there's not a real huge pharma investment in TB or antimicrobacterials, but you could imagine that if you made it easier for a pharma company to screen for improving TB control, that could be a huge boon. We could say, go to a pharma company and say, hey, we have a screen for you. You don't have to have TB, you don't have to have a BL3, and the measurement is like multiplex. And then say partner with a pharma company where we can say, okay, we're going to take the hits that look good and then test in TB. Where like, like maybe you test maybe a handful of drugs and that becomes a tenable thing to do in even an academic BSL3. Because like the way that people do drug screening outside of a BL3 is super impressive, but like to set up that infrastructure in a BSL3 not happening right now. Okay, so you might be wondering what a BSL-3 is. This stands for Biosafety Level 3. This is basically a set of operating procedures required when working with pathogens that spread by inhalation. What does this mean? For tuberculosis, this means a full Tyvek suit, 
a mask, personal breathing apparatus with filtered air. This also means no cell phones, no headphones, no Spotify, no podcasts. This hasn't stopped Professor Bryson, but it makes TB drug discovery a very impractical and strenuous effort. So as of this reading, Professor Bryson has been up and running in his new lab at MIT for less than a year. But he's already made some great unexpected progress. We've learned a few things. You know, like, first of all, I think that these markers that we have for macrophages are kind of... mm, I will go, I'll go on the record for saying they're really, really not that useful because if like somebody gave me a random tube of macrophages, let's say, the conventional markers that we have actually would not allow us to disambiguate what state they're in because like really for macrophages, it's the difference between high and low. It's an analog versus a digital. So our lab has identified four seemingly digital markers that allow us to tell you what cytokine differentiated this macrophage. We can begin to understand whether they're truly in an inflammatory state. Professor Bryson is in the early days of his scientific independence, but he seems well poised to make an impact in TB research by providing new tools and strategies for treatment. For longtime fans of the podcast, you know I like to end my episodes by asking my guests, what's the best advice you've ever received? Being a scientist on the academic track is can be very stressful. But like at the end of the day, like I'm still a human being. And I tell everybody who like comes to my lab, I am a human being. I am not infallible. I sometimes forget things and I try to be as good as possible. And guess what? Sometimes when I go home, I actually don't do science. I watch trashy TV on a few nights because I have to remain human. And I think that is actually maybe the most important piece of advice that I've received is like, don't sacrifice my humanity in order to make everything else work out. Embrace the fact that you're human. I'd like to thank Professor Bryson for a great interview. I would also like to thank the MIT Postdoctoral Association for funding for this project. Music by Kevin McLeod, Moondog, and the AOA Music Library. I would also like to thank my colleagues Max Robinson and Tim Fisenden for their help. Remember, this podcast is a collaboration with the Early Career Dialogue series. Please visit glimpse.mit.edu or earlycareerdialogues.mit.edu. Thanks for listening, and let us know on Twitter or Facebook if you like the new format.